Thank you, ladies. Well, good morning. If you've got, you got a Bible, if you'll grab it, please. And in your bulletin, I'm not Hector. I'm not singing real quick. So uh, Hector wasn't feeling good. He's going to push his special to next week in case you looked at the bulletin and wondered why we're not having a special. So uh, Romans chapter 1, uh, we are uh, still getting started with our new series. We started last week in, uh, to this letter uh, to the church in Rome. Uh, today's sermon title is called Not Ashamed of the Gospel, and I'm excited about this, part two. Uh, and, and let me just say something as you're turning to Romans chapter 1. Uh, I don't say it a whole lot, but I just want to remind you that if you miss, like if you weren't here last week, um, you can look at the service online on YouTube and podcast, that kind of stuff. And I say that not because it matters how many people listen, but I, let me say this. When we do book studies like this, even well, there's things that you can miss. Even if you think, man, last week I, I want to I hear that, what happens, because there's so much context as we go through this whole book, and we're spending so much time. So if you miss, there are resources to go back and think, I'm going to listen. You can podcast it on your phone if you want to. Um, and, and things like that. So I just want to encourage you to use those resources that we, we put on online uh, so you can kind of catch up and, if you happen to miss. Uh, but I want to remind you, as we're going through this, Paul writes this letter to Rome. Hadn't been there, heard some good things. Uh, scholars believe that he's on his third missionary journey, probably in Corinth, when he writes this letter. Uh, it's, a, it's a place in, in this Rome, it's a place of power, of influence, and we're going to see today um, that it has a good reputation. Uh, but he hadn't been there. Uh, some people have pondered a little context before we read. Some people have thought, well, did Peter plant the church? How did the church get there? In this whole Mediterranean world, I'll show you a map in a minute, like who started the church? It wasn't Paul. He hadn't got there yet. Was it Peter? Was it another apostle? And just some context, just kind of free stuff, because if you like free stuff, the book of Acts tells us in Acts chapter 2, verse 7, it's on the screen, just to kind of read with me, uh, back, back at Pentecost and all, all the things that taken place, listen to what this says, utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these speaking in Galileans, then how are each of these who hears our in, our in our native tongue? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Persia, that's how I say it, Pamphylia, that's how I say it, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, comma, and who else is there? Visitors from Rome. Now here's what a lot of people believe, and you're thinking, Dave, who cares? I don't know. It, it, it does matter a little bit, because at Pentecost, Scripture tells us that as about 3,000 people were saved, that they heard the gospel, they heard about Jesus, and, and their souls are redeemed, repent and be baptized, and they all went back to their places. And what Paul, excuse me, what, what, what the text tells us, that there were some visitors from Rome that were there, they got saved, and they went back to Rome. Paul hadn't been there. So who planted it? A lot of people believe that believers, people that got saved, went back to Rome and started a church. That's why we don't see any address to Peter or any other apostle and really know who started the church in Rome, this most powerful place of influence. So these believers, they go back, and it's a mixture of Jews and Gentiles and people that have come to faith. But today, we're going to see, if you wouldn't mind standing, please, we're going to read verses 8 through 17, that Paul writes to this church. Longs to see them. As we did the introduction last week, we'll cover 8 through, 8 through 17. Read along with me, if you will. Verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness. How constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now, at last, by God's will, that the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you, 
so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I plan many times to come to you, but I've been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I may have a harvest among you, just as I have among other Gentiles. I am obligated or indebted to both the Greeks and the non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from the first to the last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Let's pray together. A beautiful text that we're going to walk through here, but uh, just take a deep breath, relax for a minute. Um, I don't know about your week, I don't know about uh, your weekend or what's going on in your world, but everybody's got stuff. So if you, in your own heart, in your own mind, if you just want to ask God to, to do something great, uh, that we can push everything to the margins for a few minutes and just kind of really saturate ourselves and let the Spirit rest on us and let the Spirit of God work and shape and mold us and see what He has for us. If that's your desire, would you just ask Him? And if you don't mind, say a prayer for me that I might speak with clarity and that I would speak what He'd have for us today. Father, it's a joy to come into this place. We thank you for the hearts and everybody that's here today. And uh, as I say a lot, we have this beautiful space and this time that we get to gather with fellow believers and come to hear your word, to sing songs to you, to sing songs about you before we go back to our day. So Father, I pray that your spirit would, would not just settle here, but that you would be in our midst and that you would shape us and change us, that we would see something fresh and something new. I confess my inability to change anybody in this room. Your word can, your spirit can and will to those that are willing. So Father, begin with me. Would you change me and shape me and mold me in all of us today who are willing to see what you have for us. So we thank you for this opportunity. We ask all of it in the great name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I said with the kiddos a while ago that reputations matter. Uh, and if, if I did a poll in here, which I'm not, you could probably go off and you could tell me of places that you've been, restaurants that you've been, uh, maybe you did a little online survey or review, places that you think, man, I went here, you got to try this food, they got some great Thai food, they got some great Mexican food, they got great this or great that. Or doctors or things like that, maybe you had a bad experience at a doctor, you think, I am not going back there. Or you think, man, I love this place, you got to go back there. Things matter, reputations matter. I, I was thinking about that, you know, businesses, or, or, or maybe, you, maybe you had a bad business thing, or you did a business venture and it didn't go well. What about, what about families and things like that where families can happen or reputations of, of known uh, 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 reputations that precede them? What about churches? What are churches known for? Things like that. Well, maybe you've heard about this church or other churches or churches that you have families that go there. Maybe you've, you've heard reputations of the pastor's horrible. Maybe you like him. Maybe you love him. Maybe the programs are great. Maybe they're not great. Maybe they're this or maybe that. Would you agree? I hope collectively that reputations precede almost everything that we do. 
to these beautiful kids down here that, you know, I guess Legoland and Great Wolf Lodge and Disneyland parents, there you go. I mean, good luck with that one. Save up. But why do they want to go there? Because they heard something. They've seen something. Somebody's told them and talked about, man, you got to go. It's amazing. And Paul is writing to this place, and he's heard of this, this reputation of these people that he wants to be there, and he longs to get there and to see them. Let's just start. We've got a lot to go through, but look at verse 8. He's going to start off right off the bat talking about the reputation of verse 8. He says, first, after this intro we did last week, 1 through 7, he says, first, right off the bat, I want to thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. So what, what, is being, what is being reported all over the world? Paraphrase in our translation, their faithfulness, how they're living as followers of Jesus in this powerhouse Rome that Paul's trying to get to. Paul thanks them for what he's heard about them, their faith as followers of Jesus in Rome. And when he says this, if you're a note taker, you can underline this, when he says in the world, you and I, as soon as you see that, what do you think? You think the globe. You think of the world. You think, man, all over the globe. And I want to show you a map real quick, just, just for fun fact. This is the world that they live in. In this ancient first century, when they talk about the world, it was what was known to them. And you can see this, and I don't have time to do all the maps and things like that, but you can see this is the area first century where the gospel took root. So when they talk about all over the world, what, what, what Paul is saying in all of these areas, all the places that he's been, he hadn't been there yet, he's actually headed, he's in Corinth, he's going to get to Rome eventually. He's saying, your faithfulness, Rome, way over on the top left, your faithfulness of what you believe and how you're living, it has trickled down, and people have heard about it. Your reputation precedes you in a positive way. What, it's a beautiful testimony because here's the thing is that there is nobody, no pastor can stand on any stage and proclaim this verse 8 without doing a litmus test to think, what do you think the reputation of our church is? I don't care if you're in India or Africa or West Texas, when you look at this verse, it's not just for them. You have to beg the question of, well, hey, what about us? Now let me ask you this question. Rhetorically speaking, you may know, but what's the reputation of our church? How are we doing? Paul is passionate. He is courageous, but he's also grateful for them for what he's heard. If you're really brave, if anybody in this room is really brave and you have people in our town, ask them. Hey, I know you go to another church, but you don't go anywhere. Tell me what you know about our church. Clearly, we can't read this without asking the question, what about us? How are we doing? So Paul is grateful. He is He's positively affirming them. He's grateful for the reputation. He's been praying. He has been thinking for them, about them. Excuse me. He longs to see them. Look at verse 9. This is where we go straight into this. So he's, he's writing to them. He says, I can't wait to get to look at 9 and 10. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness. How constantly I remember you. And in my prayers at all times, and I pray that now at last, by God's will, by his providence, by his will, that we may, it may be open for me to come to you. He reminds them that he is serving the Lord. Remember last week, we talked about he is a slave. He is a bondservant. He is dead. All of us who place their faith and trust in Jesus, you're gone. Your life is over. When you baptize yourself and you get baptized, well, not baptize yourself. That's kind of weird. That, uh, when you get baptized and you place your faith and trust in Jesus, it is no longer about you. And Paul said, I'm a capital A apostle, but all of us are to be sent into the world to proclaim the hope of Jesus. He says, I've, I've constantly, you're on my minds, I'm praying for you. 
And now I finally get to Rome. Well, now, what, 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 which is really ironic, I, I, I talked about it with the kids, but if you flip to Acts 28, if you get bored today, you can flip to Acts 28 and you can read a little bit. Paul's going to get there. But it's not going to be probably what he thought. He's going to be there. You know what? He's going to be under arrest. He's going to be, I think, if I remember right, back house arrest. And he's awaiting trial before Nero. Now, can I just give you a little free aside in this sermon? How many of you are praying for things? How many times has God done something in you and answered your prayer, but it had, it had nothing to look like what you hoped for? Flash forward, Paul's going to get there. He's in Rome, yeah, under arrest. So God does answer his prayer. We see how the story ends, but he gets there, but it's not going to be probably how he was probably thinking. And the journey to get there wasn't exactly easy, easy either. Excuse me. But let's keep going. Look at verse 11. So he longs to see them. He longs to get there. The church has a reputation that is well about their faith and their faithfulness. But here we go. Look at verse 11. He says, I long to see you that I might impart some sort of spiritual gift to make you strong. That is that you and I may share and be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. We'll come back to that in just a minute. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters. I planned many times to come to you, but I've been prevented to doing so until right now. In order that I may have a harvest among you, just as I have among other Gentiles. We see in these two verses that Paul's passion to get to Rome, and he wants to see these believers. He wants to see souls one. In a recurring theme, every, every book that I've read, everything that I've been studying, there's a recurring theme here. All of them want to make sure that you and I don't miss something. We don't miss the heart of Paul behind this. He's not just a theologian, some guy that's trying to tell them. He's not just trying to show up and get on a stage and talk to people and say, hey, y'all doing great. You need to get this cleaned up, keep doing this, rah, 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 let's go, and ready, break, and let's do life. No, what he says, he says, hey, I want to be mutually encouraged by you. Paul is saying, I need to help you, but I need to hear from you. Let's, let's sharpen each other. He's not just coming to impart wisdom or gifts to preach or to, just to teach and to tell them something else that they can apply to their life. He's saying, no, we're in this together. Paul needs it too. And I don't want you to miss that because sometimes we want to we wanna have a little caricature of Paul that he's, he's a guy, yes, he's got a story, he's got a background, he was converted, he had experience with Jesus, changed his mind, changed everything up. But he has not figured everything out. He too can grow and learn and be encouraged. We'll get there later in chapter 12. I don't know when we're going to get there, but sometime we're going to get there. That, that Paul later talked about the church in 12 as a body. We belong to each other. We need each other. There's no body that can say they belong to the body of Christ, the church that says, I got this. I could do my own thing. I don't need each other. You do. Scripture says we need each other. We belong to each other. So Paul's testimony himself, he needs to be mutually encouraged by them. So I just want to challenge you. And Anybody, whether you hear my voice or whether you're here today, it's, if you ever think and you buy the lie, think, man, I really don't need the church. I can just kind of do my thing and I can get there when I want to and read the Bible when I want to and do this. We need each other. The apostle, capital A apostle Paul says, I need to be encouraged by you as well. We need each other. Good, bad, ugly, conflict, grace, peace. It's not always pretty, but we need each other because that's what God designed us to be. And Paul's life, not only his words, but his life is a testament to that. Verse 13 tells us that he's tried apparently several times to get there. And we don't know why, but something happened where he couldn't get there. By God's providence or whatever, he couldn't get there. But we talked about Rome. And I, I, can't, I use the word powerhouse. Rome is this place of influence. And Paul, he obviously wants to get there. He's heard about them. 
He wants to encourage them. He wants to be encouraged by them. But Paul's not just getting there to hammer some theological truths for them. He's wanting to get to their hearts. And what we're about to see in verses 14, he's going to talk about the gospel. He's going to talk about the hope of Jesus. But we've got to understand what Rome is. Rome is this, this Roman empire. It's a polytheistic civilization. The mindset of this place of Rome was very open-minded, willing to think expansively, absorb all kinds of religions, worship gods and goddesses and all of these things. That's great. You want to do, come on. But Christianity, now a monotheistic, one true God, inerrant scriptures, could be offensive. Just think about this. Think about those, those if it was those two guys from Axel Wayback Planet, that church, and they come rolling in here with this gospel of Jesus, the way, the truth, the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through this Jesus. How's that going to be received? Well, if you want to just, you know the answer to this, read about persecution in the church. Read about what the Emperor Nero used to do to people when he put their heads on spits for things like that. And Paul himself, remember, they didn't like that. So this powerhouse of Rome is a place of influence, but it is a place that is not just receptive to a monotheistic, one true God. It is oil and water, if you will. So the message of the gospel, as we're about to get to, it's offensive in a pluralistic Rome. And to the believers there, you better know what you believe, you better have a foundation. As we get into the rest of this letter, if you ever wanted a reason to understand why Ro uh, the book of Romans is so deep in theology, we're going to get there as we get in chapter 2 and 3. Some of the things we today, we're going to talk about justification by faith, this powerful doctrine of what it means to believe by faith in Christ. Because he's telling them, you better believe it and you better know it because you're in a world that's not going to exactly tolerate. At the end of verse 13, his longing to get, what does he say? We live in a farming community. He says, I want to have what among you? A harvest. Now, I don't need to talk about that. To, I mean, I think we all know what that means, but what does he mean by that? Paul says, I, I want to get there. I long to have a harvest among them, just as he had in other places. And what he's talking about is the redemption of souls. He's talking about life. He's talking about the fruit of their labor for the gospel in Rome, just as he has in other places. And by this time, and I mean, he says this, I've been in all these other places. By this time, at the end of his third missionary journey, he's been to Syria, Galatia. You can throw the map back up there if you want to. Asia, Macedonia, Achaia. But he's seen the fruits of the gospel in all of these places and all these churches. And he's heard of this church in Rome, probably established and planted by these believers that got saved at Pentecost. And he's wanting to get there. The reputation is great. They've got to know what they've got to know. And he's going to get there later. But he has to get this letter to them and say, you've got to know what you believe. We're going to get into some heavy stuff in chapter 5 and 8 and 9. You're going to get into stuff that's going to go, whoa. <laughs> but he wants them to understand this. He says, I can't wait, verse 14. I can't wait to get there. Look at verse 14. I am obligated to both the Greeks and the non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach this gospel to you who are in Rome. The word obligated there, there's a couple things, obligated and eager. And he talks about the Greeks and the non-Greeks. Your Bible may say, the NIV, both the Old and the New, kind of misses it. Your, if you have a translation, it's barbarians. That's actually a closer rendition of what this is talking about. When you think of barbarians, you think of, you know, a bunch of, like, just think of what you think of barbarians. Paul uses the word obligated. His heart is to proclaim the gospel but he comes with a sense of indebtedness to them. And it doesn't, it's kind of weird, if I'm honest to you. He doesn't, what does he owe them? What, what is he indebted to? What is he obligated to them? 
I love how Tim Keller talks about this. He, he uses like an illustration of giving somebody $100, and he says, one way to feel indebted to somebody is if someone lends me $100, if they give me a $100 bill, says, hey, money's tight, here's $100, you can pay me back when you want to. I'm indebted to them until I can pay that back. But another one is this, just another example, is someone gives me $100 to pass on to somebody else that needs help, which that happens sometimes. Hey, here's the money, help somebody out, give it to them. I am in debt or I am obligated until I pass that on. Does that make sense? He says, God, is, God, God has shared this gospel with me. And so Paul is talking about this indebtedness or this obligation that he has in the gospel of Jesus that until he can pass it on, he doesn't owe them anything. He's owing the Lord. He, I feel indebted to the Lord. I have an obligation. I've got to go. I've experienced the gospel. I've been changed by the gospel. So Paul owes the people the truth of Jesus out of his love and devotion to Jesus. But you know what? It's funny because last week when I talked about this, about apostleship, uh, I was telling, uh, I think Travis this morning, we were praying, and I said, sometimes we just kind of chalk that off and we think that's what Paul, that's his job. David, that's what we pay you to do, right? That's your job. But we're not. We're all to be sent. We're all to be apostles. We're all to go and we're all to reach out and to share our faith in Jesus. So I think a, a little kind of an indictment on all of us to put ourselves against this is to say, do you bear the same obligation as Paul? Is there any part of you, just, just this is a little challenging this morning, is there any part of you that thinks, man, I, I, I want people to have what I have. I have been saved, I have been bought with a price, I am redeemed, and it is not the pastor's job to save people. It is not the, the Sunday school teacher's job to teach. It's not about me just inviting people to church to come on someday that maybe they would, but out of obligation and love for you, I want you to know, and I feel indebted to you and to the Lord until I can do that. And you have angst in your heart. You think, man, I can't. I was thinking about the kids this morning, and I was thinking about, I don't know their stories of how they heard about Disneyland and all these places, but I was thinking about us. We like to talk about a lot of things in life that are, bring us joy hobbies and habits and things like that. I love my teams. I love this. I love that. I bet somebody's going to talk about the Cowboys today. I think they're playing a game. My team's out, so whatever. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> you're going to talk about things that matter to you. Obligation. Indebtedness. It's not just for Paul. Peter tells us in this in 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for your hope that you have. But do it with gentleness and respect. Later in Romans 10, we'll get there eventually, Paul says this, he's going to write to the same church, he's going to hammer this. He's like, how are they going to hear? How are they going to call on the one that they've not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they've not heard about? And how can they hear unless somebody's preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. How will the world know about Jesus unless God's people are sent and go? Now, this is not a check for missions or things like that. Sometimes the greatest mission field is across the hallway, across the classroom, a phone call in your own family of people that need Jesus Christ. Here's the question. Are you, do you feel indebted to think, man, I got to tell them. I need them to know. I talk a lot about things that really are fun and hobbies and sports and things like this, but is there everything in me that says, man, I want you to know Jesus. That's the urgency that Paul feels.
Statistically, most professed Christians, they agree that they have a shared responsibility to do this. I'm going to share some stats with you. In 2019, Barna did a survey, and, and here's who was surveyed. It was this, that's the age breakdowns, you know, the millennials, Gen X, boomers, elders. That's what they called them, so there you go, the age bracket. But here, just to listen to this quickly. 95 to 97% of all those that were surveyed believe that it's part of their faith means that they should witness to people about Jesus. Now, this is not on the screen, but just hear me out on this. But of those that feel equipped, they can do it. I, I could share Jesus with them. Listen to other stats. This is what 73% of millennials say they could do it. 66 of Gen X says, I think I could do it. 59 of baby boomers, boomers say that they can do it. 56 of elders think, man, I feel, like, I, feel like I, could, I feel like equipped. I feel like I know enough. I feel like I'm confident I can do this. Now, here's where the wheels come off, and it's kind of really convicting. Despite this, many of the millennials and those that are surveyed, they say this. They actually were surveyed to say that is it right or is it wrong? Here's what those that surveyed say. It is wrong. Christians that say it is wrong to impose my beliefs on somebody else. 47% of those same surveyed said it is wrong for me to impose my faith on somebody else. Not, not, we're not talking about strangers. We're talking about people that are believers in Christ that think, man, I think I can do it. But it, I'm not doing it. 27% of Gen Xers say it's wrong. 19% of baby boomers, it's wrong. 20% of elders say it's wrong. Gen Z wasn't surveyed on that. The statistics say this. I should, but it's moved from I, I don't feel qualified, I'm nervous, I'm scared, to now our church, the Christians in our, our have bought a lot of say, no, it's wrong. Stay in your lane. That's not your job. Rhetorically, can I say this out there? How many in this room might feel that same way? We think, man, I ain't, I'm not talking about, I'm not posting my beliefs on nobody else. I know kids at school feel that way sometimes, they get made fun of or things like that. How many people in your life are you going to do life with your whole life in Olson, Texas, but you won't open your mouth about Jesus because you think they probably made their decision, right? Surely they know by now. They know where we meet on Sundays. They know what's going on. And I think this is why when Paul talks about this, back to the text in verse 16, he says, I'm, not, I, I, I'm obligated, I'm challenged, these believers, verse 16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as, as, excuse me, as it is written, excuse me, the righteous will live by faith. To not be ashamed, Paul could have said, I'm proud. Why do you think he said that? He could have wrote, man, I'm so proud of the gospel, I can't wait to get there. The implicit command is to say, I'm not ashamed. You shouldn't be either. If we think our culture is hostile to the gospel, it pales in comparison to Rome. And Paul longs for a harvest. He longs to get there, not because he has skills to speak or that he's going to do some amazing thing because of what the gospel is. Did you see it? I'm not ashamed of the gospel because I'm a powerful speaker. I'm a great dynamic guy. Or I know, what does he say? I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is, it is the power of God that brings salvation. The word power there is dulamos, which we get the word power, dynamite. It's, what we get. it's dynamite. It's powerful. It saves. Souls can be one. life and death. 
and there's a time for a harvest, and there are souls to be won. Eternity is in the balance. And I was reminded of a quote from Charles Spurgeon that talked about this, eternity is in the balance and the obligation, but the longing to share. Charles Spurgeon says this, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with their arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled with the teeth of our exertions. And let not one go unwarned or unprayed for. I thought about something that happened last week when a friend of mine, his dad, passed away. I went to the hospital. I, I, I left last Friday to go to, the, to Lubbock and sit with him. I didn't want him to be by, by himself, and then family came, and he ended up passing away, and then there was a service in Denver City that we went to, and he called me on Monday. The service was on Tuesday, and just checking on him, he called and said, hey, I didn't know if you're coming, and I said, we're going to be there. And he says, hey, do you mind saying something? I was like, oh, <laughs> that's okay. What, what do you need? I'll, I'll be, yeah, sure. He said, I just want people to know that this doesn't have to be the end for, if, in Jesus. It doesn't have to be. But when I asked him, I said, well, tell me about, tell me, I, I knew of your dad, I didn't really know him. He said, I don't know. He said, I think a lot of people ask the question, of like, did, did he know Jesus? And as he said, literally, he goes, he was a great, he was a good guy. And I, but when it comes to eternity, and stuff, he, he literally, and this is heartbreaking for a, 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 a friend to say, he goes, I don't know. He told me later at the service, and he said, just talk about Jesus. Just let people know that death can be hopeful. You don't have, this doesn't have to be the end for those in Christ. And he told me later, he said, his wife spoke to me. He says, you know what? Either way, your dad saw Jesus face to face. And either way, he would want people to know that there is hope in Jesus. It doesn't have to be after the fact if somebody passes in a tragedy. I just wonder, and I tell that story because I feel that's the urgency where Paul's saying, I'm ready for a harvest among you. Souls to be saved. And I'm at the top of the list to get busy doing life or whatever and, and try to do all these things. And then it's the same thing I tell people at funerals. When people die, you're forced to think about eternity as fast as you can, but then we get back to life as fast as we can. His dad was going to see Jesus face to face face, excuse me, either in hope of eternal life or in condemnation of thinking he doesn't know Christ. And for his wife to say, either way, I think he would want people to know that there is a hope of salvation that could come through Jesus. I felt that passion. Spurgeon's quote, if hell must be filled, may we, may be, may we do everything we can if we truly believe that that's what happened. The gospel is the power of God. Paul, Paul's not banging his own drum here or beating his own drum, whatever you call it. He says, I believe. I'm not ashamed because the gospel is the power of salvation for everyone who believes. Everyone, everybody. Romans 10, 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. In the first century world and in our world. The gospel is the power of God through salvation. In verse 17, he says, For in this gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. It's the righteousness that is by faith. Here we come with justification by faith. From the first to the last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The righteousness of God has two meanings. Number one, it's that God is righteous. His character, his nature, he is the standard. It is the natural expression of his holiness. The second is that this righteousness of God is offered to us in Jesus. The scriptures say there is none righteous, not one. 
as sinful people, as people (laughs) that are born into a world of sin, we need redemption. We need to be justified. We need to be made right with God. We need to have a right standing with God. And here's the, 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 the simplicity of this is that you cannot be good enough to do it. There's nothing in our lives as sinful people that we can merit salvation. We can't be good enough. We can't do it. It is by faith and by believing that Jesus Christ has come. He died my death. He rose from the dead, conquered his death. And for those that place their, their, their life in, we are covered by the blood of Jesus. We are atoned. Our righteousness, fancy word, it is imputed to us. We get his righteousness. And he dies our death. That's why Paul told the the Corinthians that God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to become our sin. Why? So that in Jesus Christ, we might become the what? The righteousness of God. In Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. I'm going to close with Romans 3. I'm going to read this over you, but I I just want you to feel this weight today. If you're not a believer in Christ, maybe you've some, some here today, maybe you know the story, maybe you've, you've been in church your whole life, maybe you know all about this, but you've not placed your faith and your trust and your eternity is not really secure, you don't really know, you can't earn it, you can't do enough good. I just want you to hear this, to be justified by faith is to believe in the finished work of the gospel. It is the power of God's salv- of salvation, and that's what Paul wants this harvest. Do you see it? He wants people to believe, he wants souls to be saved and redeemed. He wants to get to Rome and to experience this and to help them understand what they believe. If you are a follower of Jesus, maybe today can help you clarify a little bit of, I don't need to be ashamed of this. It is the power of God for salvation. I need to step in and I need to speak. I need to pray. I need to long for the harvest. I need to be excited about the things of God just like I get excited about my favorite team and my hobbies and this and that. And if I truly believe, I said this a month ago, if we truly believe certain things, it's going to dictate how you, leave, how you live. If you truly believe that eternity is in the balance, and some people will spend eternity separated from God forever, but we have the answer. We got hope. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough. You need a righteousness that is imputed to you by another, and the only one that can do it is God himself. He came, he lived, he died, he gave his whole life, he shed blood for you, because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin, says Hebrews. And he imputes his righteousness to us for those who place their faith in him. And a harvest has begun. That's the urgency that Paul brings to this place. I wonder sometimes if we too, in our reputation of our church, if we too can have that urgency and that longing for souls to be saved, for your babies to be saved, for your grandkids to be saved, for the person in your Sunday school class to be saved, for the person sitting next to you. I want them to know Christ, for the person that you don't really like and you kind of despise, but you want their good and you're going to pray for them. For the person at your school, but you think, man, I'm too scared. I'm, I'm just a high school kid, a junior high kid. It's not my job. I'm not going to do it. That you truly believe that even teenagers and high school kids can pass away and have eternity in the balance, but we want to, them to know Christ. We want their faith to be secure in eternity. Not just on the stage on a Sunday morning, but in life. That's an indictment on me too. Not just to do it on Sundays, but to share my faith with people. So I'm, I want to mutually encourage you like Paul's doing. I, it's not just my job to preach. It's my job to do it in the community, in relationships and things like that. So I'm talking to myself here. I'm going to ask you to bow for just a second. 
I don't know how this lands on you. There's a lot here. But as you pray, let me read this over you. Romans chapter 3, later we'll get there. Paul says this, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. Why? Because all have sinned, and they've all fall short of the glory of God and are justified, there's that word, justified freely by his grace to the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as an atonement sacrifice by the shedding of his blood to be received, ready for this, by faith. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he left the sins beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I don't know where you're at. There may be somebody today that needs to give their life to Christ and believe by faith. That you know the stories and you know all that goes on with the things that you may have grew up in the church, but you've never placed your faith and your trust in Him. And you're in this rat race of trying to do enough good and try to quit bad things. And, 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 and what the scriptures tell us is that. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. He will change you. You can't merit it. Just call on him and say, I, I, I want to know you. I want to live for you. I want to be with you. I want to follow you the rest of my life. And maybe there's believers in this room that you know that there's people in your life, in your world, that don't know Jesus. But you kind of fill in the statistics. I'm going to stay in my lane. I pray the Spirit would just settle on all of us today. And that whatever He's calling of you, whether it be to come down and ask for prayer, whether it be to, 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 to reach out to a friend and say, help me, what does it look like to follow Jesus? What does that look like? Talk to a parent. What does it look like to know Jesus? Whatever He's asking of you, just obey. To share, to go, to be, to love, to speak, to forgive, whatever it is. You pray, and we're going to stand and sing. Father, we thank you for the day. I thank you for the reminder in the word today of what the gospel is all about. I pray for anybody that doesn't know you that maybe today would be that day. I pray for the believers in this room that we might realize and be challenged and long for a harvest and others to come to know, justified by faith in the finished work of Jesus. I pray for our church. I pray for the reputation of our church that 
People might want to be a part of what we do here and long to be a part of what God's doing here. Not as a perfect people. But as a people who love you and care about the souls of others. Father, whatever you've called us, whatever you're challenging us, whatever your spirit's moving in us, I pray that it would land on receptive hearts. Begin with me. Call us out. Challenge us. Help us to care. Help us to long for that harvest. And whatever you've called of us, I pray that we would obey. That we wouldn't tuck it away, that we would step up and step out. Above all, thank you for your love. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for doing what you didn't have to do. And that's to ransom sinners through your blood. May that be at the forefront of all that we think about and all that we do moving forward. We ask it in your name. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing together.